following program is not ashamed of the gospel and is about to tell you the truth. Our conduct, our behavior, our conversation, if it's godly, it means it reflects the very character and nature of God. That is what we should pursue. That is what we should seek. And all the beauty that it brings for when you act godly, it acts like a signpost pointing other people to who God is. But make no mistake, godliness does not give you a relationship with God. See, that's what some people think. Man, if I could just be godly enough... I'll get a relationship with God. But that's not the case. Godliness does not grant you a relationship with God. A relationship with God grants you godliness. See, the gospel is not godliness. But godliness is the fruit of the gospel. And far from making godly living optional, that actually makes it vital. It's the very evidence that you have embraced this truth. See, the gospel doesn't minimize godliness It motivates godliness. It's a willingness to have your life shaped by the will and calling of God. Our culture is confused, and that confusion is spilling over into everything today. God is never confused, and those who know Him and obey Him are never confused. Confusion is the absence of truth. But here on this program, we untangle our culture's confusion with the truth. Thanks for listening. Life matters, and the issues in life matter because they affect how we live our lives. In this podcast, Pastor Walt McFadden thinks out loud about truth and discerns how it is being applied to everyday life. Thinking Out Loud podcast is a production of City View Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Pastor Walt, once again, it's time for Thinking Out Loud. Sunday morning, you were on fire. Did you feel that way? I felt like I was connecting with people. I don't know if I felt like I was on fire. I felt like I was on fire other times, but I felt like I was connecting with people, yeah. So what makes you feel like you're really connecting? I just know. I don't know how to explain it. In the church where I was at previously, the people never showed emotion either way. Mm. And so guest speakers would come and say, wow, that really bombed. What did I do wrong? And I said, they were with you 100%. -hmm. Trust me, I just know this congregation. And it's the same way here at City View. I have a sense when people are tuned in. Mm -hmm. I don't feel like people are ever drifting or, I mean, sure, they drift a little bit, but I don't ever feel like people are completely disengaged. Mm -hmm. I feel like they're, Mm -hmm. but there are those times, you know, when you're touching their hearts and Mm -hmm. getting them to really think. Do you ever get reactions from people who come up to you later or during the week and you an email, give you a phone call and say, Pastor, man, that was good. Or what did you mean by this? Or talk to me more about, I mean, do you feel that people, you know, are sort of with you in that kind of journey of exploring the Bible and getting more out of it? Most often, I don't like the question, what did you mean by this? Because they're probably going to disagree. Uh-oh. But yes, I do get good feedback from the congregation and a lot of, you know, that was that was good. Mm-hmm. And what I really like to hear is somebody said about a sermon a few weeks ago, I just made a passing comment about reading the scripture. And they said, I really got convicted by that little 
passed by sort of like a, a drive-by or a hit-and-run. I didn't spend a lot of time on it, but they said, I have not been in the Word, and I got convicted by that. And I always say it's never the common, or I think that's really going to hit home. It's always something else that the Lord deals with. And we always have people come and say, wow, that sermon was for me today. And that makes you feel better because, you know, when you're up there and you're preaching, you're putting yourself out there and you've spent your entire week. I start sermon prepping from the minute the sermon is over on Sunday. And usually on Sunday evening, I'm at sermon prep already for the next week because I want a good head start of praying, thinking, absorbing. A lot of pastors prep on Saturday. That's a huge mistake. You never know when your wife's going to get a flat tire and you're going to wind up there winging it. I want to really absorb that. So I have a lot of emotional energy and prayer in my sermon on Sunday, and I want it to hit home. It isn't always going to make the same impact, but that's very rewarding when people say, hey, that that really touched me, or it caused me to make a change. Your series is basically about 1st, 2nd Timothy, and Titus. It's the uh, pastoral epistles. And you said the basic theme of these three epistles is disorder. Something's wrong within the church. There isn't a lot of, well, they're just things that aren't quite right. And this is the church of Ephesus. And so, you know, Paul is writing to Timothy. And one of the themes that you really accented on this Sunday was godliness. That's a risk for most pastors, I think. It never was, but I think it is today because I think there are so many different ideas of what godliness is. And as soon as you mention that word, I know people's minds go, oh, legalism, here it comes. So what? why did you attempt to use so much illustration or so much of your sermon on godliness? Was this a disorder that is not only back then in Ephesus, but in the church today as well? Yeah, both. And it's canny how you can always find something in one of Paul's letters, Peter's or John's, about that's relevant to the church today. Some people think, for example, the the seven churches in Revelation are really a picture of all of the churches and the dangers that are ahead. City View is not in the condition that the church in Ephesus was when Paul was writing to Timothy, but there's a warning there that you could and you need to be careful. And so we have to do a lot of compare and contrast without tearing down other churches and giving the idea that we're the only church that has things right. Mm -hmm. But it is a theme, and what Paul is trying to do there is to get them, you mentioned legalism, out of legalism and into true discipleship and Christ-likeness, which is what godliness is. So I came back with the definition of godliness, which is the Greek word eusebia, which means acting in accordance with the nature of the gods. So this too is Jesus. What has he done? Uh, tell us about his nature. The church has done a, a poor job of connecting our daily lives back to Christ and who he is. It's more about behavior modification. It was about behavior modification back when Paul was writing to Timothy. These false teachers, in this case, were taking a blend of Greek paganism, Greek philosophy, and mixing it together with the Old Testament Jewish religion. And they were saying that your mind is all that matters. You need to subdue your body. And so the best way to do that is to go back to the Old Testament and begin to follow the laws. We see the same thing was happening in the church in Colossae, where you have new moons, you have Sabbaths, you have 
dietary restrictions that people have to begin to follow again. And Paul is saying that is not godliness. Behavior modification is not godliness. The ultimate goal is Christ-likeness. And it's been something the Lord has really convicted me about when we began really shaping and molding City View in a different direction about eight years ago toward discipleship, not just absorbing information, but true obedience-based discipleship. Then I really started to study and see, and my eyes were open, that the ultimate goal here is to be like Jesus. Jesus invests his life in 12. He had his intimate three, and then he had his very intimate one. So I was just mentioning last night in the elders meeting how each of us who are in that role of shepherding need to have our 12, 3, and 1. And we need to to invest and make sure that they are walking in, in Christ-likeness. And sometimes it takes hard conversations, and I think it's more of a matter of just pointing out this is what Jesus did. If I can just give a little example like I did from Sunday, Paul defines godliness there with a couple of characteristics, and one of steadfastness, another one is godliness, another one's gentleness. Gentleness is not a characteristic that is honored in our culture. You want to look out for number one. You want to make sure that you don't get taken advantage of. But I was thinking about it last week. Are gentle people happy people? Yeah, they are. They are. They're not people who get shaken easily by every headline that comes through the news sources. And they're not worried about being taken advantage of. They just trust and they love. And that's the kind of person I want to be. And that's the kind of pastor that I want to be. I've been more convicted. I've got the the no drinking, no drugs, and, and no adultery thing down in my life. What is, how does that separate me from the world? What really makes me different? It's my attitude toward people. It's my, my love of people, my patience with them, my gentleness. Paul also talks about steadfastness. There's not a lot of steadfastness in our culture. People are, there's the great resignation. Everybody's leaving their jobs and trying, they're just chasing empty dreams. There's nothing honorable about people who stay in an area and minister for a long time or stay in a job and work for a long time. And they become sort of a rock or a pillar. And I have a lengthy time here at City View. It's 20 years now. And I'm glad for that. I've been a a stabilizing factor in the lives of many people. You mentioned discipleship, and that has been sort of the underlying theme of the church at City View, to be able to follow Jesus in the way biblically we are to follow him. Is there a danger in discipleship where it only becomes a cognitive experience or journey, and some of the more supernatural pieces of discipleship are sort of overlooked? or forgotten. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Absolutely. Yeah. What you do is you compose a list of things that make you Christ-like, and then those just become a checkoff. The seeker movement of the 80s and 90s, which is still around today, was really good at that. In their effort to get away from legalism, they made lists that I thought were very legalistic. Attend church every Sunday, give in the offering, and they would put words with it like, well, give generously. Well, you can't give generously unless you have a heart change. There has to be a change in how you view giving. Uh, Paul says that God loves a cheerful giver. So there's a, a heart change in there. So we have to be careful about those lists. But the part that we fail to emphasize is intimacy with Christ and spending time with him and listening to God. They take a tremendous amount of discipline, and it's very hard to 
to teach and to explain. I've tried to teach people about certain times when I have a revelation of something from the Word. And what I mean by that is you can read a verse a thousand times, but then one day you read it and the Holy Spirit opens up your spiritual eyes and you see it in a different way and you see it, you see an application of it. I can think of times when I would read something about grace or mercy, and God opens up my eyes, and, and the next thing I'm weeping before the Lord because I've gotten a spiritual understanding of the passage. We should always ask the Holy Spirit when we go to passages, open up our eyes to see the truth that's in here. It, it should be a cooperation between us and the Holy Spirit when we read the scriptures. So we haven't emphasized the heart enough. We've just emphasized again. We've repackaged what the church in Ephesus was experiencing back then. We've repackaged legalism in our effort to not sound legalistic. It's really about intimacy with Christ. And I always go back to the little phrase, in Christ. Either you're in Christ or you're not in Christ. It's a simple illustration. Are you walking in Christ? Are you understanding who you are in Christ? Are you understanding the benefits and the and the kingdom work that you can experience when you're walking in Christ? One of the things you said Sunday, which is very uh, unique, you said when you read a passage of Scripture, and you were trying to give some hermeneutical kind of lessons in the sermon, but you said one of the ways that has been very helpful for you is to ask this question, where is Christ in this verse? You know, sometimes people say, well, if you're reading the Old Testament, where is Christ in that verse? Explain that a little bit more, because I, I really, that was intriguing to me, and I think it's a great way of, you know, being in Christ, is asking, where is Christ in this verse? Well, you've heard the phrase, that the new is in the old concealed and the old is in the new revealed. So as far as the Old Testament goes, Christ is all over. Every one of those stories and every major figure of the Old Testament points to Christ. Abraham is a type of Heavenly Father. Isaac is a type of Jesus. David is a type of Jesus as the king. Elijah and Elisha, they were they were examples of John the Baptist and then Jesus. One does a lot of miracles and the other one does a lot more miracles. So we see Christ in everything. In the story of Ruth, this refugee in Israel, this outcast, the one who is of a different ethnicity. Her story points to the kinsman redeemer, which is the gospel that God bought us back out of the world. So Christ is everywhere. And again, it takes a little bit of thought and a little bit of contemplation. The biggest part about getting these truths out of the scripture is that you have to have quiet, you have to have meditation, you have to have peace, you have to have your surroundings free of distractions. So uh, that takes a lot of discipline and we don't like it and our brains never shut off. But this is one of the things that we'll find is much more healthy for our whole culture. You remember back in the late 60s and the 70s, the Beatles started to get into transcendental meditation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I even remember... Shankar. Yeah. Yeah. I remember even a couple that left the Pentecostal Mm -hmm. church that I was in to join the transcendental movement. Their daughter was very upset. She was a classmate of mine. But it was appealing to them to get away from the noise and the Mm -hmm. racket and the materialism. That's what meditation is really all about. Meditation in the Hebrew is actually to mumble. So as you go through, you're you're speaking the words out loud and you're really focusing on the Lord. Well, one of the hard things for me has been the discipline of every day just sitting and listening. And it takes me about two seconds to get distracted about thinking about something else. But I know when I listen to the Lord for 10 minutes a day or 15 minutes a day, I can hear him more clearly the rest of the week because mm-hmm. I've learned 
to hear his voice. Mm-hmm. I can recognize his voice. Mm-hmm. Jesus said that. My sheep mm-hmm. hear my voice. They know me. Mm-hmm. That's an attribute of a disciple is that I can know and I can recognize Jesus. And I can. people often ask me, how do I tell the difference between my emotion and, my, and, and the Holy Spirit? Well, how much time are you spending listening mm-hmm. in solitude so that you can recognize the Holy Spirit when you, when you need an answer? So does he ever say, Pastor Walt... And he gives you a convicting word. Do you no, recognize not that it? way. Not that way. Not that way, huh? <laughs> not that way. What I find, here's an example. Uh, the other day, I find out some kind of bad news in the church. I've got to talk to somebody, and i got to bring correction into their life. And for about four days, I was delaying. I was feeling like this is not the right time. This is not the, the moment. And, and somebody else asked me a couple times, have you talked to this person? No, no. I'm just praying, and I was in my office the day before yesterday, and I just knew God said, send the message. Hmm. I just knew now Hmm. was the right time. And I don't know what was happening on the other end with that person, but I got an answer that I was hoping for out of them. Sometimes it'll happen in, in a church service on Sunday where the Lord will say, this is the direction that the church service needs to go. Or he's even told me somebody else has a word. Mm -hmm. But I find that those incidents happen more often when I'm listening more to the Lord during the week. It's not something that just comes out of the sky. For me personally, I don't have that moment by moment that some people claim. And if that's their relationship with God, that's fine. That's not how I've ever experienced. When the times when when I have been in major, major stress, here's another little example. I think this would be helpful. We were looking at merging with another church. Now, this was when I first started at City View. This is almost 20 years ago. And we came all the way to the finish line on this merge. And I went home from our last board meeting, and I knew that this was not the direction the church was supposed to take. So I went to the next meeting, and I said, I am not for this. There's something that's not right here. And I got an earful from some of the board members. You know, we're here at the finish line, and we need this place. It's a bigger place. And, and I said, I, I, I don't know what to tell you. So we go back a few days later and meet with that congregation, and they pull the plug mm-hmm. and say, we're not doing this merge. There was just something there, and I, mm-hmm. it's a lesson I'll have with me for the rest of my life, is just to trust when I know that the Lord has spoken to me about something. Okay, Sunday morning, you said the Lord spoke to you, or you felt the impression of the Holy Spirit saying that that the gospel is going to go forth in the city, not necessarily by big churches or a big crusade or a big festival of some kind, but from church to church, neighborhood by neighborhood. That's how you said that the gospel will really have feet in the city. Now, my question to you is this. I mean, in all practical purposes, most of these churches don't have people. They don't have resources. They don't have vision. Most of them are just meeting to meet. I mean, let's face it. So on appearance sake, anyway, it seems like something's got to happen there before what you say will happen, that revival will take place. So Explain that a little bit well, more. Well, first I would say that we're probably right where God wants us to be. <laughs> Being poor. No resources, <laughs> no peel, okay. no, no people, yep, yep, nothing. Yep. Uh, but there has to be course correction. Mm-hmm. The church has to get its act together. And the main thing that we have to do is we have to start preaching the unadulterated truth of the gospel. And there's too much 
dancing around important issues that people need answers on. And we could make a long list of them about social justice, transgenderism, homosexual marriage, abortion, all of those. What we need is clarity and we need fearlessness from the pulpit. But what we need is we need to feed people the word of God. That's why we have people buying into so much of this and even pastors buying into it because they're not preaching the word of God and they're not preaching the truth. If God in his sovereignty decides, which I feel and believe that he's going to do, Mm -hmm. that he's going to bring revival in this country, he'll bring the men and women forward to, to preach the gospel. He'll get rid of the old guard, as he says in Ezekiel 34. Mm-hmm. I'm done with these shepherds. Mm-hmm. I'm going to raise mm-hmm. up new shepherds, and they're going to care for the people. Yep. But notice, see, we keep looking to the outside. We think we have to have all these these big events and these big evangelistic events when so much of what's happened in the history of this country has happened organically through a select few, through the local church, when the local church is revived and doing what it's supposed to be doing and the people love each other and the mm-hmm. people are fed and they're taken care of, why would why would anybody want to go to be a part of something where people are not fed and they're scrawny and they're starving and they're miserable and they're grouchy and they're infighting? There has to be course correction. And I said on Sunday that if all of this work of discipleship does not result in radical Christian love, then we've wasted our time. That's really the goal. I'm really thinking a lot about how we have not taken care of the people in the church, which seems counterintuitive. Mm -hmm. What what are you talking about? You're talking about investing resources back into the church instead Mm -hmm. of reinvesting those resources outside of the church? Yeah, Mm -hmm. until we get strong enough. And we see these heart changes and we see this course correction that we really need in the church in, in, in the United States. And the, the irony of all of it is that we surrendered the inner city. We went through white flight of the 50s and 60s. And we have probably more churches that are not here anymore than are here. We surrendered this mm-hmm. turf. This is, this is Satan's turf. We surrendered it. We gave up. And God is calling us to take it back because the city influences everything. You know, you're the kind of preacher that is no nonsense. You preach a strong word. It comes out of the scriptures. You're no nonsense. There's no question. And I think people have come to City View Church because of that. They're getting fed, if we can use that term. But at the same time, you have said that discipleship is the underlining foundation of the church, and yet we have talked on many occasions that people within the church still have this wound that they worship or they, it becomes their identity. And it almost seems, Pastor Wald, that discipleship hasn't cracked that nut. And over and over again, you're preaching your heart out, telling people, you know, how to live for Christ, how to get into the word, how to interpret it, all of those things. And yet week after week, it's the same old wound that comes up in people's lives. How do you see your way through that? I haven't figured it out yet, (laughs) but I'm not going to give up. Well, good for you. I'm not going to give up. And there's just going to be some people that are just never going to get it. Yeah. But I want people to to be free. Mm -hmm. I believe there are are two classes of people here. There are people that don't want to be free. Mm -hmm. This has become my identity, and I'm just too comfortable here, and I am never going to change because Mm -hmm. this is how I want to be identified. I'm comfortable, as as odd as that sounds, Mm -hmm. I'm comfortable being the wounded victim. Then there are people who really want to be free, and they just don't know how to. Mm -hmm. And what I'm trying to do is unlock the key in those people's lives. What I believe is the source of it 
is that we have a church with no power. As Paul Mm -hmm. said, I came not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Mm -hmm. And what is his wise and persuasive words? He's talking about the cross. He's talking about dying to yourself. He's talking about forsaking all to follow Jesus because his message in that context is that the power of God is demonstrated through our weakness. When we throw up our hands and say, we can't do this anymore, and I've been doing that for quite a while now, Lord, I don't know what to do with the people in my church who are really hurting and they're overwhelmed with anxiety and depression. I want them to be free. Mm -hmm. And I think that I know that can only happen with a supernatural move of God. Well, it's a good pastor's heart. I'm going to end with this verse because you said it just to verify what you're saying. It's out of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5, it says, So that your faith might not be based on human wisdom, but on the power of God or on God's power. I mean, that is really what we're trying to say, is that when we come to church, as good as your teaching, as good as the worship is, we want people to experience God so they can be set free. That is the only thing that's going to work. So once again, Pastor Walt, thank you for thinking out loud. God's goal for us is to become God-like. We can't be God, but we can be like Him in our character and conduct, in our actions and in our attitudes. It's not an event, it's not just something that happens uh, in a moment, but it's a growth process that we ought to consistently be pursuing. We hope you enjoyed the podcast today, and please let us know your thoughts on our topic. We want to hear your feedback and your concerns as you think out loud please visit us at cvcmpls.org. That's cvcmpls.org.